welcome to Quizcast number eight. Our guests tonight are Jake S. With an overwhelming sense of deja vu. <laughs> special guest Green Egg. Evening all. And not very special guest AC. That's not nice. <laughs> Is that it? No, it just means you're not like waves of planes special. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, AC who, who curses our players with injuries. <laughs> now, the implication was that I did mean that about Green Egg. <laughs> ah. um, oh. So let's let's start off, AC, um, with your upbeat, high-tempo review of the three games we played against Leicester. Okay, let's see if I can do upbeat. Um, <laughs> right, sorry, but could you could you put the pom poms down? I can't hear over there. <laughs> so we played Leicester three times in a week. Uh, I've made very similar notes on these. Well, the first line definitely. Um, a lot of the word of domination. I I think we outplayed Leicester generally. Um, first game was a frustrating one because we should have won that quite comfortably, really. We were very good in the first half. And then as soon as Okazaki came on, Toby had a horrendous game. I think Okazaki is Alderweireld's kryptonite because every time he came on uh, in any of the games... Alderweireld had a horrendous game. I mean, the second game was again frustrating. We dominated the whole game in that one. Lamella should have scored twice. Harry Kane should have scored. Um, Alderweireld in that one pushed over Dyer in the middle of the box and then ignored the ball completely. And they had a free header, which was scored by Huth, I believe. Uh, second game was a really good game. Rested Harry Kane, really good defensive play. Looks quite comfortable. It's strange, isn't it? Because I, I think, like you were inferring, that the the performance in the second of the three matches was probably our best of the three, and yet we still came away with no points at all. It's the first time I'd gone away from the game from a game this season feeling genuinely kind of pissed off that we'd not got something from a match, and that's as no. It, we in played really well, except refreshing. for when two of our defenders decided to run into each other and and give Huth a comically free header. And this is from the side that's got the best defence in the Premier League. That was yeah. crazy. I mean, it's that weird blip that makes it still seem a bit like Spurs. I mean, I don't know. It makes we'll it seem a bit unreal later. as well, though. Yeah, it, we'll, we'll get on to this later on, I'm sure. But at the moment, there are some moments where you kind of do have to pinch yourself. So it was almost reassuring to see an enormous brain fart after 80 minutes of genuinely really good play. I'm pretty sure that Alderweireld probably saw Kazaki in the corner of his eye. And then just thought he had to push Dyer over. One of the most cheerful footballers on the planet, Okazaki. So, Jake, take us on to the Sunderland game. But before you do, I just wanted to recognise what a fantastic job the away fans did. Their support was tremendous. Um, and you could, you could really hear them loud and clear through the TV cheering the boys on. It's always nice, isn't it? I mean, I think uh, there's a discussion probably like that's raging across the message board itself about whether some of the, the chants are appropriate or not, but it, it's always a joy to hear them. I've got to be honest. Um, the game itself, I think is a hallmark of how we've been, improved this season. It's one of those games where we, we fell behind and then came on to dismantle a team quite easily. Um, a little bit frustrating that we had to be kicked into life by going a goal down. Um, when we spoke about it in the last pod, I, I remember AC struggling to name any of their, key players to keep an eye out for. And I think that was borne out by how turgid they were generally. 
Um, we spent an age in their half. We absolutely dominated possession. Um, I feel quite sorry for Jordan Pickford. I hope that he gets rested out of the team for a while because playing behind that that defence is going to probably ruin him, to be honest with you. But yeah, we had 26 shots with 11 of them on target and 67% of the ball. I mean, it, it was fairly a substantial result, or a fairly substantial demonstration of how comfortable we can be when we have possession. The one thing that's also interesting is that it was another demonstration of teams packing their defence when we had the ball and us trying to unpick it. So uh, I'm quite glad we got a couple of slightly lucky deflections for Ericsson's goals. But yeah, deserve winners. It was quite nice to see that Jordan Pickford's got a new contract now. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah I think it's merited. I mean, he's by far the, the best keeper they've had. I mean, Pantillimon last season had a great game against us or it was one of those ones where it was a discussion about whether it was a great game or we were kicking the ball sort of straight at him to make him look better. But yeah, Pickford looks really bright and one for the future. We, we, we often talk about how keepers seem to have worldies against us and, and really perform well. Pickford performed really well, but we still put four goals past him. And that's that's great. Because actually, if he hadn't have been playing as well, it could have been eight or nine. Yeah, exactly. But we've got to the point now where keepers can have a worldie against us and still we still win it, which is great. Last time I heard someone say that was um, after the game I went to, the Spurs-Bristol Rovers game. Yeah. And we were coming out of the ground and a few people were saying, oh, their goalie was the best player. How far back are we going for this? Prof? Yeah, what, what? Oh, wow. Um, way back. Back to the days when I was going to every home game, which actually wow. could have been anywhere in the late 60s, 70s or 80s. <laughs> so for the benefit of those at home, that's... <laughs> uh, okay, 1977. Excellent. I was two. <laughs> I was minus 10. Um. Also, I, I, Pickford obviously wasn't helped out by the horrendous performance of Kirkov. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the quite worst a, debuts. An impressive debut, really. Is, I think that's up there with Jonathan Woodgate for Real Madrid. That was yeah. a very impressive substitution, I have to say. Decisive, good old yes. Fat Sam. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice actually because so often he he has been our nemesis, but he, he actually contributed to the downfall during the game, which was good to see. Well, rumour has it, apparently they water down their gravy up north, so it's not quite as powerful for him. So, um, yeah, he's he's not quite running as he should be. Uh, the pies just aren't the same anymore, are they? Now, Greenegg, you're, um, you've got the, uh, I think, as much as Sunderland was wonderful, you've got, I think, probably the pick of the draw here with the Palace game, about which I'm still buzzing. Well, it's, yeah, we, we are all are, I'm sure. It was a, it was a, one of those cliches, if it was a game of two halves, wasn't it? And uh, possibly of three men. Um, more on that in a moment. But the, 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 for me, the interesting thing was that I looked at the lineup for the Leicester game and I looked at the lineup for this game, and I I thought the Leicester game we would lose, and I thought this game we'd be comfortable, and we weren't comfortable at all. And in the Leicester game, you know, the the, the, the last of the three, we were very comfortable. This game we weren't comfortable for the whole first half. We didn't really turn up. And then the curse of the commentator turned up for us. Oh, Crystal Palace haven't scored for about three years. And um, lo and behold, Jan thought it'd help break that record for them. Weirdly, I had a really bad thread, a really bad stream. Sorry, my th- I'm losing the thread here. I had a really bad stream and uh, no sound. And uh, that was a shame because although this commentators can get very annoying, at least they would have drowned out my screams of anguish in that first half. 
<laughs> Second half, Manchester sort out a decent stream, and it looks like Spurs Manchester sort out a decent performance as well. And then one of the three men who I think oh, it was the men of the day, um, off came Eric Dyer and on came Nasser Chadley. And, and I probably wasn't alone in thinking, what? What are you doing? No. Turned out to be decisive. He set up Harry's equaliser. And yeah. um, had, uh, once he came on, he made quite a difference. I, mean, I suppose it, it showed that sometimes that we set up a bit too cautiously against these sides. Because once again, they were packing out their penalty area, making it difficult for us. And we needed to have more penetration, which Chadley really gave us. And then um, the third man, worthy of mention, um, was a young Deli Alley, who um, I'm led to believe scored quite a nice goal. <laughs> is, is this true, chaps? It's unbelievable. Uh, brilliant. It was lovely. It was. It really just, it, as soon as it went in, uh, I, I was just thinking, that, that's Gaza all over again. And um, he's come to the right club, hasn't he? What a bargain. Yeah, it's the closest comparison I can think of is, is the Gaza in the in the Euros. But it was just, it, it's fairly unique. I mean, the whole move for it was absolutely it was, I I loved it. Um, right down to when um, Harry Kane puts a crossover, which bounces back out. Kieran Trippier picks it up. Harry Kane is right on his shoulder. He straight away says, oh, yeah, you, you better have this. Then Harry drifts over a, looked like a speculative cross, but maybe he meant it. And... Um, Ericsson's cushioned header, and then three touches from from Delhi, all on you know keeping the ball off the ground, all with his right foot. One, two, three, in the net. Absolutely brilliant. And the, the vision, the technique. Ah, uh, the only thing that stopped me watching it as much as I did is because it's been taken down off YouTube so much. Yeah, and all most of the vines have been taken away as well, which is oh. kind of good because before you look up, it's midnight and you're still staring. Yeah, at I know. <laughs> <laughs> Damn them and their copyright. <laughs> but we'll see it. Well, I'm sure we'll see plenty of it again. Certainly be part of the goal of the season um, entries. It is and, bizarre, um, though, isn't it? Because the, the brilliance of that goal means that the one you're just about to come on to has been slightly overlooked. Well, yeah. And uh, as, as has been said, in any other game, that would be the standout goal. And it was pretty special. It picks it up right over on the um, touchline. Worked his way right across, and that was a bit Bale-esque, really, the way he did that. So, and then just, Green, you, so Jan Vertonghen had quite the game. Jan did. With 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 an own goal, um, and then... He, he it was a, a, a game of such contrast. I mean, just before that own goal, he had done a, a beautiful tackle in our in our area, and then a half-hearted pass to Ericsson, who didn't deal with it, and then that all went wrong, so... He'd gone from the sublime to the ridiculous within a minute or two, well, within a minute, and then up the other end, and Wickham absolutely flattered him, flattened him, didn't flatter him at all. And, well, um, he might have done. You don't he might have, <laughs> it could have been for that reason. Well, I can't deal with you any other way. <laughs> Magnificent coughs. <laughs> Awful um, uh, elbow. Took him out, and there's such rotten luck that he had to fall and take out his knee like that. And now we're... Uh, Amazingly, I think, though, having seen very recently Kevin Vimmer deputise incredibly well, I'm feeling a lot better than I might have been at the news that he's going to be out possibly for some time. But looking like Kevin Vimmer might be all right, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is particularly Spurs-esque for a player to be out for about eight weeks 
with a damaged knee from an elbow to the face, isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. Hmm. But yeah, Vim but, has been you know, I mean, I, I, I love that we've got the best defence in the Premier League. It's just it's so not unspurs like And um, I'm just really hoping we can maintain that with, uh, with uh, Kevin in the side. I mean, best defence in the league, third best offence in the league. Yeah. Quite, quite something. And that stats thread in, in, in the Bill Nicholson Lounge at the moment, you know, we have had more, we've had more shots on target than Barcelona this season so far or something. Stuff like that is quite nice. Although, it's interesting as well to note that, as you mentioned, Greenegg, that we could, it's another sign that this, the opinion that Poch is not tactically flexible is, isn't quite as accurate as it used to appear. I mean, we've played three at the back against Watford and now when we've been chasing a game, he's normally rigid subs. To, dro- to drop out Dyer to bring Chadley on to give us more bite in attack. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, it, it seems very clear that he has the confidence to do that and the belief in his squad to, to know what he can, you know, who can he bring on to make an impact like that. It's it, fascinating. It was bold and I think confidence is the important word here because I think that he, that the squad and the, and the team... And the players and the, and the manager or the head coach have taken time to get to know each other. And they've both now got confidence in each other. And, and he now possibly earlier on might have felt it was a good idea just to try and shut up shop. But now thinks, no, let's go for it. And uh, he's more bold in his choices. Who knows? And as if to suggest we're actively pursuing something a bit further up the table rather than... I, can't, I keep looking behind us rather than looking forwards. Even after the results this weekend where we are legitimately... If, if results went our way, we could be second in the table after the next round of games, which is mental. But looking behind us is, is not is normally what I do, and seeing that we are five points clear of the team in fifth is far a far more significance for me. Even well, I think you've got you've got to follow, follow the um, Spurs version of the, of the Green Cross code. You know, you've got to look behind you and in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's very true. But it looked to me from that tactical switch it wasn't just to chase the game to get a point I didn't think it was to try and get all three oh no I think I think a lot of people seem to look at coaches um you know head coaches and managers and expect them from day one to be the finished article um when in actual fact they're learning just as much as any player would be and we always look at players and think oh look at the potential of this young player you know in five years he could be a world beater but you can also say the same of someone like Potts, who's still young in terms of managerial terms and is still going to be learning. And in a few years, you know, five years' time, he could be the world's best manager. Yeah, and also we, we've many of us have said how Spurs the last couple of years have been a work in progress. Well, he is too. And also, like I said, they're all learning each other and what they can do and what they're capable of and, and, and things need to fall into place. Which is why, you know, like on that thread, would you swap Bale for Kane? I, I find myself very much in the case of saying absolutely not. You know, I like no, things how they are. Okay. Um, we're in the midst of a run of six away games in seven fixtures. Um, so looking ahead to the next five games, obviously the FA Cup, fourth round against Colchester away. The uh, away Premier League game to Norwich, home to Watford, away to Man City, and then the away Europa League game against Fiorentina. Um, I'm going to ask you, which game are you most looking forward to and why? And also, which of the games are you least confident about us winning and why? So I'll start with Green Egg. Well, um, I'm definitely looking forward to the FA Cup and the Europa League because they're on telly in high definition. So, you know, that's a nice, easy one for me. Uh, and um, 
I'm looking forward to them all. I mean, I, I just, I'm loving it at the moment. And I'm really finding it hard to pick because I just, I am confident we're going to go into every game and perform well and do well. Hmm. Man City away, that's the one. I want us to go there, hmm. win by two or three clear goals and improve our goal difference over those imposters. <laughs> and for you, Jake? Um, the one I'm looking forward to the most and the one I'm dreading are kind of the same, really. It's Fiorentina away. Um, the, Fiorentina haven't lost to an English side at home in Europe, in Europe, in the European competitions. Um, we've only won once in Italy, which was the, the Champions League game against AC Milan. Um, they've yet to concede, in fact, against English opposition at home. And they've got a couple of strikers who are well informed. It's going to be a really tricky game. Up until this last round of matches, um, they'd only won one of their last five. Uh, forgive me, I didn't actually check this evening to see how they'd done over the weekend, but it's still a fairly appalling run. But yeah, they just look like a decent side. They're the kind of one that we will struggle against. And it will be interesting as well. The next, after that, my next favourite one is the Colchester game. Like you, Prof, I love a tinfoil cup. So I think it's, I don't know, It's it, they feel like competitions we can actually realistically win. And yeah, I know two points off top, off second place and so on and so forth. But for me, it's always been about the cups. It just seems a more realistic, tangible prize for us to aim for. Uh, and Colchester away as well gives us an opportunity where we should be rotating players. I'd like a namer to get a run out. And obviously, we will get a game now. Um yeah, Vaughan can start. I, I think it'd be decent for Ben Taleb to get a go because he should be looking to stake his place because that would also give us the opportunity to drop Eric back as well if needs be. So there's an opportunity for coaches and for some players to really step up and demonstrate that they're ready for a more regular run out. Could be uh, just like the Monaco game, I think. It was a more or less second string team performing really well. Yeah. Or indeed against Leicester in the, uh, the last round of the Cup. Yeah, true. And AC for you? Uh, I'm least looking forward to the Fiorentina game. I'm worried about that one. But I do think we definitely have to play Bentaleb in that one. Um, Bentaleb played really well last time we played away in Italy. And Mm. I think he is the type of player that would probably do really well if he played in the Serie A. Um, Given that little bit of extra space, he's got a lovely pass on him when he's got time. Um, and he can, you know, completely dictate the tempo. I think he also needs some game time as well. Yeah. The one I'm most looking forward to is the Man City game. I think this could be really pivotal to decide how we're going to push forward this season. Um, it's our toughest fixture on paper of the remaining games we've got. Um, playing away at Man City. And I don't think we've been outplayed by any team this season. So I think... You know, I still feel confident going into it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at the moment with our position in the league and their position in the league, it could, you know, we could be ahead of them at that game. We could be behind them, but it would probably put us ahead of them if we did win it. I fancy us in that game because they can't defend. No, and apparently company won't be back for that one. But, I mean, one of the goals they conceded this weekend against West Ham was one of the most laughable things I've seen. Well, that's what we need. We, we need some a team who can't defend just to sort of give us that extra bonus. Aguero's second goal, though, sums up for me the, all the dangers that they've got. It, you, you don't even have to give him a real chance. It can be the spawniest deflection to bobble in front of him and he'll still stick it past us. Mm. Yeah. But, 
If he could just have another one of his, you know, season ending injuries, that would be perfect. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> so gents, we um we have quite a quite a few questions submitted this week by Coisers for the panel to answer. Um so thanks to, to all of you out there who um have done so and we'll try and spread them out. And um first question uh was um inspired by a question asked by J Fox twenty two, um and she was currently I think a near neighbour of mine. Um I think he moved across here a little while ago. And he asked us each to look at the BNL and highlight a thread which we have thoughts on that would be um worth sharing. All right, I'll I'll take this one first. I mean initially I'd had a look at um one of the more contentious ones, which is whether you would choose Adibayo or Bentner if you had to. But I mean I think the other one that's really caught my eye over the last day or so has been the thread about Andros Townsend. And I just wondered what other people's thoughts were on the departing sort of winger. It's been nice to see, actually. He said um, there hasn't been too much um, nastiness. People have been saying, oh, you know, hope he does well, wish him well, Spurs lad. And um, I, I liked when they showed the tweet and he said it's, it's emotional. He did a little, you know, face with tears. And I thought... Oh, and the picture of the um, him driving out the gates. As if yeah, yeah. I was really well, touched been by with that. For, what, 16 odd years? I mean... Yeah. Personally, there's a few regrets. I not personally. I feel if only Andros. I, I I just think there are a few things which I, I found really frustrating about him. I mean, we've all wanted him to be a brilliant player. The, 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 I don't think anything that's been said in jest about his desire to cut inside and shoot as hard as he possibly can has been taken as anything other than frustration. The fact that we've wanted another player to come good. Um, his abilities are fairly useful. But, I mean, he just didn't seem to understand what the discipline was or, you know, what was required of a disciplined formation that Potts uses. He may well do really well with McLaren because McLaren isn't quite as structured a coach from what I've seen him, well, for England and for various other, you know, for his club side. So it may be that that extra bit of freedom, and he'll probably play on the left, will mean he gets to prosper. So, yeah, I mean, good luck to him. I really wanted it to go well. It's a shame it didn't. But, you know, I hope he goes on to have a decent career. And 12 million quid. Pretty happy with twelve million. Yeah, it'd be good if we spent it. And AC, which thread would you like to highlight? My one is the uh, directing of football matches thread, mm. which I found very frustrating watching the Leicester games on BBC. Oh my god, the coverage was just terrible. I mean, it was just so bad. They kept not showing the football. Showing, I mean, they showed. Uh, Jamie Vardy's face for about a solid minute and the commentator had no idea what to say and Jonathan Pierce is generally pretty dull at the best of times there, was, there isn't that much to say there. look at his face it's yeah. in HD so weird and then showing like seven replays of each goal while the game's already kicked off and carrying on it's just bizarre it was you just can't really, really bad you can't really look at his face without Barry Davis commentating can you <laughs> look at his face <laughs> Um, that was a thread by Hotshot Tottenham, by the way. And I suppose I can segue from that into the whole issue of, of broadcasting of Premier League games um, in general and of Spurs games in particular to the UK compared to the rest of the world, or at least much of the rest of the world. Um, it seems ludicrous to me in 2015 that I can watch every Premier League game that Spurs have played so far this season, plus usually five or six Going consecutive, uh, going concurrently on on different channels here on on uh, the sports networks, and yet 
in the UK, my friends are scrambling around trying to find a decent stream to watch it on. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, I would happily pay a fairly hefty whack for an away season ticket for Spurs. If you could just stream those games and put all the money back in the pot and allow it to trickle back down from the Premier League if they are so worried about the fact that lower league teams will struggle. I don't buy that personally. I think they just haven't worked out the best way to monetize it for the clubs in the Premier League yet. But that's where it should be. It, it seems bizarre that we can't. I mean, I get that there are certain parts of the country, i.e. outside London, where broadband speeds aren't as quick. But, you know, it should be a start. It should be a catalyst. I mean, in, say, America, where they not only do they show it on TV like American sports, but they also allow you to purchase the, you know, a season ticket with your team for the whole year. I mean, it does mean that not only can you watch your team every single time they play, but you can also watch the big game of the week when it's on TV. It's not like they won't be getting football coverage from these games. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Even with the ludicrous amount of money that it costs to buy, to subscribe to sports channels in this country, you don't even get any choice over what games to watch. And you just, it's a lottery. Oh, you know, your team might be on. Once a month, we're at the moment. I think because we're doing very well, we're actually being shown on telly quite a lot. I think somebody on somebody on Coys the other day said that we're on television more than Coronation Street at the moment, which was a <laughs> maybe <me laughs> the, the argument can be extended down to the championship, and so most games now have cameras at them. If there was sufficient demand, the idea of setting up a streaming site, for, even for someone as the as far down the food chain as Lake Norian, wouldn't be unrealistic. Well, then we need the Premier League and the. We need the Football Association to actually think more creatively because basically all they're interested in doing is selling the TV rights to the highest bidder and then the, the television companies, they buy the rights and then they completely set the agenda themselves, which isn't good for the fans and it's not necessarily good for the clubs either. No. That's it. I actually get rid of this need to sort of move games around all the time for like yes. kick-off times. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, like, I'm somebody, I, I don't get to go to games hardly at all. At it's crazy because, you know, especially if you have to travel, you could make go to a lot of trouble, make arrangements, for, you know, buy tickets, maybe even accommodation, everything, and then the game gets moved. And, and that's just ridiculous. And Greenegg, what's your rant? I'm sorry, which is the thread you want to highlight? <laughs> I don't think I've got any rant. I've, I've been in Chubbin enjoying quite a few, quite a few threads this week. But, um, okay. I think... Um, I said earlier about if Real Madrid offered us Bale for Kane, would you? I've been enjoying that a lot. Would you? No, 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 no. Um, would love Gareth Bale to come back, but I'm not up for that swap. Harry Kane, is a, he's a complete talisman for Tottenham. And uh, I think, as some people said in the thread, he, he represents everything that's going on at the club at the moment. And he's he is a figurehead. He's very important. If he was to go, I think it would um, undo so much of the good work that's gone on. Yeah, agreed. And also, how would you find a replacement, Harry Kane? Oh, you wouldn't. I mean, he, he is a complete footballer. He's He is so good. Yeah. And um, it's, he is a big part of what's happening. So like I said, that, that goal on that goal on Saturday, um, Kane to Ericsson to Ali, three players who've been all part of this little revolution. And of course, Kane, he, he had the mutiny. It was the Kane mutiny. We yep. mustn't yep. forget that. Then I just... Um, the other thread that kind of complemented that was one saying, do you think that Danny Levy would sell Kane if he got offered 80 million quid? And I thought that was quite interesting as well, because that's a hard question to answer. We, we've lost players like Modric and Bale, 
and Berbatov, but it seems to have been as a result of them agitating to leave. Yeah, every single player that's been sold has wanted to go. And we've never let go of a player when they weren't asking to leave unless we actually didn't want them anymore. Yeah, and sometimes that's even, you know, Adebayo, for example. I refuse to believe that none of our players are, uh, are being, you know, we're not receiving offers for our players. I'm certain we are. But yeah. it doesn't get reported that often, does it? No. I mean, so my my own thought is that going on history and everything, it would seem that um, when you've got somebody as important as Harry Kane, um, I think we would just put up a big not for sale sign unless he decided that he wanted to go somewhere else. And, and that seems that unlikely at the moment. What about you, Prof? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Mine, mine is a rent. <laughs> Um, and it's just generally about the, the match day thread, uh, which I enjoy a lot. Uh, I, I like to watch the game, obviously, here on, on TV. That's just to rub it in. Um, and and But to read the match thread. And the thing is, for, for many of us uh, who've been fans for a while, for sure we do pour out our, our emotions um, at the TV. Certainly I do at the TV. Uh, I have been known to throw things, including the cat, at the TV. But yeah. there's a... <laughs> I'm not upset. I'm sorry. There's a there's a, a mindset that I just don't understand. I, I simply don't you know, comprehend. Um, so we can see the goal, and it says somebody will post game over. No justification for it. Game over. Even though we've come back from behind many times, it doesn't matter. Or a draw is the best we can hope for. Or and this is one. We really are a crap team. This was very recently. On what basis can you post that about your own? own team that's doing so well. Particularly, particularly given uh, all the evidence to the contrary at the moment. Right, and, and it's like this total detachment from reality during the match, um, which makes it quite hard to read the thread sometimes. One of the worst is, I said we'd lose. Why would you post that? What it doesn't. What pleasure can it give you to, to think to yourself, well, I said that, so let me make sure everybody knows how smart I am. That somehow mitigates the fact that we've conceded a goal. Really bizarre. Um, and just to give you some specific examples, this was someone who posted in a recent match thread, and, and it doesn't matter who, it's more what they said. This is all their posts. Poor finish from Kane. Naff off Rose. Poor again from Kane. Rose is shit. What a naff up. Get Ericsson off. Absolutely diabolical. Another loss. Not going to watch anymore. And they um left they logged off the site and assume they stopped watching either the stream or the tv after 40 minutes of the game because we just conceded at home to Sunderland so they quit on the team after 40 minutes with those nine posts and we win 4-1 on what basis are you a Spurs fan and do that I don't I'm not criticizing them I'm completely baffled by that mindset or um for example really poor from Walker Chadley's having a complete mare. Oh, naff off Lamella. What the naff is that from Walker? Can we actually keep the bloody ball? Carroll's gone missing, needs replacing. Um, and another game that we won. And, and really, knows you just wouldn't think that we'd be winning those games. That was at home to Norwich. In fact, I think Carroll scored in that game. So I guess I'm asking you, I suppose, what, what is the mindset that watches a game through that lens? You get them at the ground. You get people who will go primarily to grumble. You get people who fail to see the positive in pretty much anything that's that's going on. There was a guy who used to say at the end of matches he was sad the game ended because it meant it was a week or so until he got to boo Jermaine Jenis again. 
I mean, genuinely, I, I heard that. He sat a couple of rows in front of me. I then moved seats because I couldn't put up with it. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's a mindset that's just shared on a message board. Mm. And sometimes people externalise those things a bit too much. We all do it in all walks of life. You should hear me at work. So oh, there's I, been a thread about people going early, but I mean, the, the, the one that Prof talked about there, he, he'd gone after 40 minutes. I mean, 40 minutes of a game because yeah, we won the old talk about people leaving the match with five minutes to go. Um, and and that, that's something that some people understand, some people can't. I mean, I've never done that myself, but um, if it makes a huge difference to what time you get home and the result is fairly certain, then I can see that. But after 40 minutes and you're 1-0 down, that seems bizarre, especially given how long you've been. You just think of how often it's been proved to be a stupid decision. Like, I remember watching that. Do you remember that uh, Arsenal against Reading game? And I know this isn't one that people generally want to remember, but when Reading were 4-0 up at half-time, and something like a, a third of the Arsenal fans all left and went home. And then Arsenal ended up winning 7-4 or something stupid. I, to, to endorse Jake's point, um, uh, on quite a few occasions in recent years, um, through the generosity of the, uh, the Stadler and Waldorf of, um, of Coys, which is Chunky and Dollis, you know, sorry, I should have said for those those of you who are under 100, Stadler and Waldorf were the... Uh, the two Muppets who sat in the balcony, the two old geezers in the balcony. The Muppet, the Muppet shows back now. People can enjoy it. <laughs> okay, fantastic. And and behind them, and a couple of rows behind them, there's a guy who um, spends the whole game, literally the whole game, um, slagging off the players, our players. It doesn't matter what the score is. It makes no difference. He shrieks abuse at them for the whole game. And it just seems like a very expensive way to get that sort of therapy. <laughs> There's a, there's a guy who sits near me with who my brother has had a stand-up set to with about his constant berating of the team and it is pretty much the the, the colin hunt aren't i funny look at me kind of thing because mm. so, it, it's normally done in a uh, inverted commas hilarious way but it's, it's just there is a, a bit of showmanship about it and Maybe sometimes it's demonstrating that it matters that bit more to you because it, you get so wound up that you have to disappear off after 40 minutes. I mean, it seems a little bit of a futile gesture if you're logging off a message board after 40 minutes. <laughs> That'll teach the players a lesson. Yeah, exactly. They're now they're, Suddenly their emails are going faster when they get back. I've logged off. They'll think twice but, before they do that again. <laughs> well, yeah, on reflection, I'm thinking of the, the chap who, who, who's behind uh, Chunky and Dollis. Um, he's apoplectic. I mean, he really is. His temples bulge as he screams. But it may be that just, you know, it's it's the proximity to Chunky and Dollis that sets him off. Now, I realise <laughs> I can't prove that, but that could be the uh, the answer. So thanks, Fox 22 for an excellent question. Um, there's another one here, which is which is from The Loyal, which I think is an excellent one, with six days left in the, um, in the swoop and pounce window. Uh, it's, the question from The Loyal is... While the majority of fans want a striker this window to act as cover for Kane, do the panel believe we have enough cover for Dyer as a defensive midfielder, who I believe is as important to the balance of the side as Kane is? I mean, I'd be pretty happy with Dembele coming in as a defensive midfielder. In that game against Liverpool, he played really, really well. And even in the, the game uh, against Palace on the weekend, when Dyer went off and he, he, he went back, again, he, he, he almost went up a level. From then on in the game, thought he played really, really well. Um, so I kind of feel a bit comfortable about it. That's trash, and that's not something that um, 
that I already mentioned when I was talking about the game earlier, but he was, uh, you say when, once Dyer went off, uh, he was a revelation. He, he just completes that running midfield. I certainly wouldn't want us to look outside if the option is Victor Wanyama. I mean, I've been quite dogmatic on this, but I can't see what he brings to a side. What he does is effectively reduce the other side, but he reduces you because you, you miss out yeah. on... Well, Hartley had rubbished that one, and hopefully he's right. Yeah, well, fingers crossed, because that... It's amazing, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, in the summer, we were desperate to have somebody like Wanyama, and not realising that we actually had a better version in the wings. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the one that got away for us there was probably Schneidlin, but the implications of that would have been that we wouldn't have seen the, the, the re-emergence of or Moussa Dembele finally turning into the player that we've seen snatches of. On a Absolutely, and Moussa Dembele now is playing better than Schneidlin. Uh, and yeah. in a better team as well, so, you know. The power of coaching, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think it was implemented in that uh, Q&A session they did that Pochettino said to... Levy that if they couldn't get Schneidlin then he could coach Dyer into playing in the defensive midfield position Yeah, because they were, we were linked with Axel Witzel at some point as well weren't we, but you're not going to get a player at that level to be a reserve again it's the problem you have, if you get get somebody as good as, as Dyer um, they're not going to want to be a reserve and so uh, backup is always going to be a problem isn't it, and I think we need to be looking at people like uh, Bentaleb, Dembele whatever Mason, we we can probably cover our bases with what we've got. Yeah, absolutely. It's a similar. Basically, we, we what we seem to be saying is we're in a similar position for Dyer as we are with Kane. Is how do you get someone in when they know they're going to be the sub? Yeah. Totally. So it's a bit different with a striker. Is that you could play a different formation to include them, but I can't imagine us ever being in a formation where we'd want Dyer and another DM involved. Well, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next question is is not one I would have expected. Uh, be interesting to your thoughts, and it comes from the uh, the great Blighty. Um, are our fullbacks, like the four fullbacks that we that we have in the first team squad, good enough um, for a top four challenge? It actually could mean it doesn't really say that. Um, so maybe he means for a championship challenge. Um, he said, "Is this part of the squad we actually should be looking to improve in this window?" No. no. I mean, I'm pretty happy with our fullbacks. I mean, it would be it'd be a position I may look at improving if we'd like fully completed our squad and we were looking at definitely going for the title at the start of the season. But I think they're good enough, and they've been well rotated this season. I think there's a nice balance in the side. There, and uh, we I know that Blighty's a big fan of um, Coleman. Um, yes, he is. Yeah, um, and he's a good player, but. We've got. They may not be the best four fullbacks in the Premier League, but they, they all do a pretty good job, uh, as our defensive record shows. I mean, I think we, we we can't be too critical of any of our defenders when we've got the best defensive record. That, that things must be right. And it also could goes be, back. Could I be suppose, better, but they're they're okay, you know. It goes back, I suppose, as well to Poch's thing about it not just being about their abilities on the pitch. It's also the the, the more holistic view of how they would blend into the squad and. It seems like we've got it right at the moment. Yeah, I mean, in that Barcelona thread, they all seem to be having a, a bit of a laugh in Barcelona. And, you know, uh, it's, it's a nice way to earn a living, isn't it? But it's, it's actually good to see those people. They're all just gelling and, and, and 
bonding as a group and they're just having a bit of fun. Is there any truth in the room that Harry Winks didn't get the permission slip signed by his mum so he couldn't go? No, he is in Barcelona. He is. Oh. <laughs> he's in one of the pictures. He's, oh, he's, in the, he's in the video where he has to wear Crocs. Um, <laughs> he's also in but, the picture around the table. Yeah. What I like is I, under you know previous managers like Harry and AVB, you get these sort of pictures from the players and they'd be out for a meal, but there would only be sort of maybe three or four of them. But now it, it seems like this is, you know, those pictures are without the staff, but there's loads of them all together. And the only people who are missing were actually at a scan for, for Tongan, and they wanted to be with him when that happened. I think it's really nice to see our squad just completely together. Yeah, yeah. there's a real feeling of togetherness. And there's actually and no rumble. It's like a team that you feel... Uh, that you can identify with a bit more because they're not, they're, they're, I don't know, they're, they're, they don't put you off, if you like. They're not all arseholes is the point you're going to make. That's the one, thank you. <laughs> this is weird, isn't it? And it really wasn't that long ago where the squad was divided and results um, sort of, in, or results flowed from that division. Yeah. Mm. So, as you know, um, we have a, a very kind quiz who wishes to remain anonymous for reasons that she hasn't explained. Um, but she sends in quiz questions, which we do from time to time. Thanks, um, Executive. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, mate. I did try to you know, hide your, uh, your real identity, but Jake found out. The, the first question that she sent in was, um, in the great Keen Defoe debates... Of yesterday, it takes you back a bit, doesn't it? The great King Defoe debates, um, and where it seemed like every quizzer was a fan of one or the other, or sometimes neither, but never both. Um, the question is: In the Premier League, which one of them has scored the most goals for Spurs? I believe they've got exactly the same number of goals. Is it ninety-two? <laughs> ninety-two? Is it ninety-two? I'm so glad you're not a cheat. You must have been great to sit next to at school tests. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make that arm motion, little curving arm motion to protect my test paper. 92, eh? 92. And I think we all know that Harry Kane is, is sixth, maybe even up to fifth now. I've lost track, but fifth or sixth. Um, and, but the question is, who is the, which player in the squad is, of the current squad would be second most on that list? Ooh, I'd have to go with Ericsson. Yeah, and he's 15th. Which, as I was saying, if you, if you think about all the players who've ever played for Spurs in the PL, so that's, I don't know, 25 years. Um, the fact that Ericsson will be the 15th highest scorer when many people feel he just disappears from games entirely is actually quite impressive. And which of our current squad has the highest... And I'll ask this to you, Jake. Uh, which of our current squad has the best uh, goals per game ratio in European competition? Oh, I'm going to go for the man with the worst haircut in football, Eric Lamella. Absolutely. Worse than Zaha. That's a fair point. Worse than Dwayne Dibley. Come on. Yeah, that headband. Good God. Also worse than Jovino, who has Oh, God, yeah. He's just protecting his massive forehead by (laughs) draping his hair all over it. Oh, it always comes down to haircuts in the end, doesn't it? It always comes down to haircuts. And Shamak, of course, the man with three haircuts, and they're all terrible. <laughs> he says, sitting in his house, winging stones at the glass. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the last one on the list is, is um, you can pretty much guess who has the record for us this season of 
um, goals scored in consecutive games. The question is, how many games is, is his uh, longest streak of goal scoring? Oh, do we all get a guess at this? Be yeah, fun. go on. Go for it, AC. Well, it's, it's Kane. Of course, yeah. And... How many? I'm going to go with six. Six, Green Egg? Five. Five, and Jake? Seven. Seven. Well, one of you was right, so that was good. Um, yes, AC, six. six. Nine goals in six games between the Bournemouth away and Carabag away. So that was it. Last question. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Um, thanks to the mysterious quiz question donor. And special thanks to Jake Greenegg and AC for being such an excellent panel. It's the end of Coistcast number eight. Hope you enjoyed it. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.